Hi everybody, my name's Sam. And my name's Ben. And we're the, the Book Bear Bear Boys. Boys. <laughs> Great. Do you think we got it? It's it's wonderful, I'm sure. <laughs> Probably not. I really hope <laughs> yeah, I really hope that we find a way to use it. It's phenomenal. It introduces Ben. Uh what's it, what are we called again? <laughs> what's our, our podcast called? Sam is awesome and Ben stinks. Boys. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, yeah. All right. Okay. Hi, I'm Ben. And I'm Sam. And we are the Book Fair Boys. <laughs> uh, we're joined today by Ooh. a uh, delicious stone IPA. Actually, it's a stone delicious IPA. Oh, nice. So, what are you joined by, Sam? A nice white claw, black cherry. Not 70. The real stuff. Fuck no. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a man. (laughs) So, Sam, we read The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb, which I was not particularly hot on. I I went into this one with fear and with... No, no, no. I loved it. But I went into this one with fear and trepidation. I was like, it's not one of those, like, phrase titles. It's about mummies, which mummies are super lame. (laughs) They're the lamest monster. If you look at, like, the universal monsters, the mummies are the lamest. They're also... The otherized monster, uh, we talked about this a little bit before, what makes them scary. It's like, you know, you imagine a bunch of Englishmen, like, stumbling upon a tomb and being like, ooh, there's a dead body in there. Like, let's literally make this burial practice a monster. Yeah, it is very much that, like, colonial fear. Of Of the way, yeah, just this is a different culture and that is the scary monster. Yeah. Which, and we were talking about this before we started recording, too, that that's a big part of uh, the pushback now against the Lovecraft mythos, yeah. right? And even, like, the original Call of Cthulhu story, one of the big bits is that he pulls back the bushes and he sees all of the, the natives dancing around the fire to some god that he doesn't recognize. And he's like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> that's different! Oh, no! And, and, you know, the elder gods don't really do very many super nefarious things like there's another story i remember where it's just a bunch of aliens who are like yeah all we want to do is zap our brains into space and he's like you can't do that (laughs) that's different um so you know you're super right that that is just like the sort of xenophobic well i guess it's just interesting because it's like well we'll get to the story but you know the whole mummy mythos thing is is particularly interesting to me because it's like we have these druidic tradition monsters with things like werewolves and things like vampires that are in western folklore mythos right but like you can defeat them on your own terms and usually you can defeat them with christianity but when you look at mummy stories you always have to defeat the mummy on its own terms you can't like bring it into the church and like that makes things okay you have to find some like secret hidden scarab so there's something that's almost you know anti-theistic about it or you know sort of atheistic about it and i think that also kind of plays into some of the you know weird xenophobia all that aside i was not super hot on this mummies are lame boring they're just dumb monsters because they're not scary anymore. And I was not excited about going into this, but he threw me for a loop, man. He pulled a Ryan Johnson and he had a late stage twist (laughs) that I found particularly satisfying, but some who are in the mummy fan base might not have really enjoyed. We'll we'll get into it. Actually, let me take a step back. I thought mummies were going to be lame and I was proven wrong by this. Well, I, I, I'm a big fan of the original Universal Monster movies, and they all ruled the horror scene until about the mid-50s when Hammer films became sort of a thing, and then they revamped all the, like, 
the Curse of Frankenstein and, and the Mummy, they all started coming back. There was a push to sort of do that in maybe the 90s, like around this time, with the Brendan Fraser Mummy movies, and then also like Dracula 2000. Yes, yeah. Sort of Van Helsing maybe was in that era, like 04 that came out. And it fell apart that time. It, it didn't really yeah. go anywhere. So when I think of like the monster movies or like the original classics, whatever, those are sort of the three beats that I think of. I'm a big fan of the original like Universal films, like the original Mummy. Boris Karloff was fun. Well, God bless him. God bless Boris him. Karloff is just God, he's just the best. Bless his heart. Him and then like Creature from the Black Lagoon, I really like, and Dracula. You know the whole. Gamut. So, like, what of those originals do you find frightening or, like, do you really engage with? So, I think these monsters in particular, right, like, they've been so overdone and redone over and over again that, like, it always boils down to sort of what the essential fear is that they're tapping into. And I think there's a reason that the Brendan Fraser movies were not horror movies but were adventure films because, again, mummies just aren't scary, right? But, like, when you think about Dracula... That's always been something that I think you can make horrific because Dracula has been tied since, like, so much of it was associated with, like, the Victorian era, I think, to sort of sexual repression and self-repression of sex. And so, like, if you find a culture that thinks sex is icky, then Dracula is going to somehow find a way to still be scary and cool. And, you know, that's, like, you know, me in a nutshell growing up in Texas in the in the 2000s and 90s. So, like, Dracula can be cool and scary. Creature from the Black Lagoon, weirdly, I think... You know, sort of representing, like, again, Alan Moore redid him with the green and the, you know, sort of swamp thing. And I think that that treatment, you always deal with it as, like, this sort of fundamental essence of nature that is somehow, you know, so otherized that it's not, like, malevolent. It can be quasi-malevolent, but, like, the malevolence is, like, not something that can be understood. It's just really there to, like, grow over your houses and, like, eat you up. And <laughs> yeah. I think that's cool and scary, and actually I kind of, like, want to be an acolyte of that monster. If we're, like, worshipping old gods, I'm into that. Yeah, He's fair. cool. But, like, yeah, Frankenstein. Frankenstein's, like, again, science is scary. Frankenstein will always be around because you can always find a new way to... Frankenstein's monster. I'm sorry, guys. Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> Please, yeah. You know, he can always be scary because science is always dabbling on the edges of things. So, like, you could make a film tomorrow that's about CRISPR and, like, some guy who had his genes yeah. edited and now is something else and death has been undone in him or something like that and, you know, it would be scary. Um, yeah, well, where's the deviance, right? So, like, if you have some sort of scientific deviance, that's frightening because science can always dabble in something yeah. that it's not supposed to, right? Like, science... You can think of as a being on a, a straight course where like if you deviate from this course you're going to get into areas that will move beyond your control in the same way that like dracula you could say there's sexual deviance like if you're there's a way to have <laughs> sex and if you deviate from that you're getting into sort of these like dark areas like neck biting oh <laughs> forget it um, you know <laughs> there's a lot of other things that go into dracula like that but then you get into sort of like deviance for deviancy's sake. Like even the Wolfman is like, it was a Romani curse, yeah. right? So like the Romani were frightening simply because they deviated from the quote unquote like straight course of colonial British, American, hmm. whatever. So universal monsters. Yeah. Mummy is, mummy's big dud, right? If I'm, if I'm rating my universal monsters, mummy's a big dud. Dracula's icky, ooky, not necessarily super spooky, but, like, Dracula can get there. 
you know, you're looking at like uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. He's pretty. He's got potential. Like he can be done really poorly or really well. Yeah. Dracula is just kind of like easy. He's always going to be oogier and, and spooky a little bit. But yeah, I don't know. Outside of that, like Frankenstein. Yeah, Frankenstein's an easy go. You can't really mess up Frankenstein if you even try to do him right. Well, and that's like sort of the thing of the original like Universal Monster Universe is that there's always something. There's an inherited evil. Uh, and this is sort of what I wanted to talk about with the mummy book too, that like, um, so this is, okay. we're getting into it. Yeah. We're coming Good. back. We're, we're getting back to yeah. that. Um, we're getting back to that. The book that we read. <laughs> yeah. It's always like in the later Frankenstein films, it's always like, this is Frankenstein's nephew or like Frankenstein was my cousin or something. There's like, it's not just like the person or like the act of the thing itself. Like anybody could reach the point of becoming a mad scientist and creating a monstrosity uh, or, or like letting an experiment get out of hand and that's some hmm. piece of inside evil that those movies don't really touch on it's always like i am part of the family therefore i can become evil therefore i as the audience member who is not a frankenstein am safe and like if you don't live in the village hmm. where the house on the hill belongs to count dracula or belongs to larry talbot who is the wolfman or whatever then you're cool there's always the like outside evil or, or even like a small bit of othering in those films or like even the creature from the black lagoon you have to go to the lagoon uh to to get him yeah um, yeah 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 but and, and so that was sort of the thing with the mummy movies too in that like it wasn't so much the mummy itself but there were followers of the mummy who were still around yeah and so it wasn't necessarily like uh mummy himself that like walks among us quite yet uh but it was his disciples. Yeah, so Sam, what happens in R.L. Stein's Curse of the Mummy's Tomb? So, um, I mean, surprisingly little, right? Like, (laughs) um, (laughs) But um, I will say to the benefit of the book, in my opinion. Yeah, so it's, it's really, it just struck me how simple it is. It like, Gabe, his parents... Uh, work in refrigeration supplies. Wait, did I miss something? They work in refrigeration? I was like, what is this business that they're doing where they're just in Cairo? It's the only time in a Goosebumps book so far that they've really gotten into, like, what the parents do. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, in the first couple pages it says, Mom and Dad have their own business. They sell refrigeration equipment. It usually isn't very exciting. Yeah, you don't have to say that twice. Uh, but sometimes they travel to neat places like Egypt and they get to go with them. How? Like, how big does your refrigeration supplies business have to be? This is Bob Vance refrigerations on a global scale. Yeah, so what line of you work are you in, Bob? <laughs> and so they, they go to Cairo. That's kind of cool because his uncle, Gabe's uncle Ben, lives in Cairo. And so he gets to visit Uncle Ben. And uncle Ben is cool because he uh, is an archaeologist, I guess. I, I don't know if they ever exactly say they like, do his... they say he's an archaeologist okay. yeah all right great um <laughs> <whew>. <laughs> uh, he's just a dude that works in the pyramids that's it yeah he's like a security guard <laughs> right this way um but so he's he's an archaeologist and he's um doing some dig at the pyramid and uh so he gabe loves uncle ben so he gets to visit uncle ben that that's kind of the the plus for going to Cairo. Yeah. And so then 
all of a sudden Gabe's parents are called away on immediate refrigeration business. Urgent refrigeration and, business in Alexandria. <laughs> yeah, and they they're like, be there wanna, in an hour. Yeah, they're like, do you want to come to Alexandria? There's lots of things to see. And me, I'm like, hell yeah. Alexandria is, in my mind, a city on par with Cairo as far as like history and things to do and see that I would want to visit if I had the chance, yeah. right? Like, And Gabe says, no. Hard no. Because Gabe is super lame. Like, can we say who, something about this character? This character... Gabe blows. He's also the most flawed protagonist we've had so far. Um, maybe outside of Monster... No, even with Monster Blood, he's the most flawed protagonist. Like, this kid not only is perpetually whiny and petulant and, like, clearly annoying to everyone around him, he's perpetually... All, I'm sorry, he's also perpetually terrified. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, this is the one, like, there, there's some major fear shaming that goes on in this book. It's true. With Gabe. I will say, though, that, like, if you were 12 uh, and you had a friend who was so easy to scare, I'd be scaring that guy all the time. <laughs> and maybe that says something about me. Um. <laughs> no, like, the first big scare is his uncle walks in dressed like a mummy. Yeah. Right? Um, and this is a very classic fake you know, spook at the end of a chapter, but his uncle walks in dressed like a mummy and Gabe like screams like a little, I mean, I think it says he screamed like a little girl in the book. It says something (laughs) I like, I screamed like a little girl. I screamed until my head fell off or something like that. Screamed until I bled on my dick. (laughs) (laughs) It's very intense how much Gabe describes his own screaming at seeing his uncle who he's expecting to come in the door come in the door but dressed like a mummy that that is also like so we were talking about uh irrational rationality when we were talking about dead house and like how you have to go out of your way to be like you're right go start real despite all the evidence of the contrary yeah gabe ha- has the opposite where he goes out of his way to be like oh no this isn't the person i was expecting this is a mummy <laughs> there is definitely a mummy coming through the door of my yeah. hotel room that like made its way up through the lobby like yeah. it checked in with the bellhop like the guy said who are you here for and the movie's like i'm here to see gabe <laughs> and he's like still in his mummy clothes <laughs> and he comes up the stairs <laughs> he unwraps his face and then he like has i guess a key or a key card and opens up the door to the hotel yeah. um and it's a mummy yeah, yeah so it's, it's that's how it starts so the yeah. parents leave <laughs> And uh, they're like, Uncle Ben will be here soon. But he's bringing with him, they're like, your cousin, sorry, is going to be there too. And he's so upset that he throws himself onto the couch and starts beating the couch with his fists like a baby having a tantrum. It's so true. (laughs) He is like such an insufferable, like we've had insufferable 12 year olds, but this kid is the worst. This kid is the one that you look at at a restaurant and like he's having a fit and you like look over and you see the parents are like sitting there shaking your heads and you're just like, oh my god, I'm so glad that's not my kid. Yeah. That's who this kid is. So glad. This is the kid who like at birthday parties will has some weird shit that he's got to like. Uh, <laughs> like I, when I was a kid, I would peel the cheese off my pizza and just eat the pizza uh, without the cheese. <laughs> that's the little motherfucker that this kid <laughs> is. <laughs> Except he starts whining and crying because for some reason peeling the cheese off is too hard yeah. or something like that. Like too he needs, scary. Like it starts out, 
the opening of this is him bitching at his mom for like 30 minutes about how thirsty he is and how he couldn't give a fuck less about the pyramids because yeah. he's thirsty. Like, that's what the whole first oh chapter God, is, yeah. is this kid being like, I am thirsty and my needs are essential here. And like, dad's like, aren't the pyramids cool? And he's like, no, they're not cool because I'm fucking thirsty, yeah. dad. And he also, a, a good deal of characterization goes into the dad uh, being overweight which only struck me because there's also an overweight dad in Welcome to Dead House. And so I was reading this and I was like, is Arl Stein okay? Um, <laughs> does he have body issues that like... It's stuff too that's like, you know, Gabe does his dad a favor because his dad drops something on the ground. Gabe like goes and grabs it real quick and hands it to him because he's like, dad's embarrassed about bending over because he can't see things because of his big fucking belly. his stomach <laughs> is too big. I was like, Gabe, dude, you can't say that stuff. That's your dad. <laughs> so um, we, we meet Uncle Ben. We get sorry. And Gabe's like, are we going to go be able to see the pyramids? And Uncle Ben's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what am I going to do? Not bring you to an active archaeological dig in the middle of a, a pyramid <laughs> where you can get lost for all eternity. A place that's designed to trap you and... Make sure that no one ever finds you, you know, you're fucking 12 now. Put on some boots, Skipper. Come on. Um, so they go, um, and Sari is such a shithead to Gabe. Yes. Um, I mean, entire way. so you begin to get on Gabe's, the one way that they get you on Gabe's side in this is that, like, Sari is much shittier than Gabe is. Um <laughs> Like, Gabe is shitty, and he's a little terrified bitch, and he's, like, so indignant about everything. But, like, Sari is such a pain in the ass. Sari's, like, that person... We all knew this person when we were in, like, 12th grade. I'm not 12th grade. When we were, like, 12 years old. Somewhere, like, between, like, 6th and 8th grade. Like, you knew this person who, like, they're, like... A second child or a third child. No hate if you're a second child or a third child. They're not all, not all like this. But they were one of those two. And they, like, live off of making fun of their older brother. And, like, when they get in yeah. friend groups, yeah. that's all they do is they're just, like, like, they enjoy being annoying. And that's what Sari is. Sari, like, enjoys being annoying. Well, and you can get attention really easily that way. I mean, if you're hanging out with your older brother's friends then and you put a dig on your older brother and then all those friends would be like oh shit like he is he sucks eggs and then you're cooler than your brother for a second right yeah, totally yeah so uh they go to the pyramid and um uh uncle ben is like don't wander off and then immediately gets distracted by some damn thing and meanwhile this other dude at the dig is like staring at the kids and uncle ben's like well that's ahmed and the kids are like, well, Ahmed is weird because he's staring at us. And then the dad's um, like, no, Ahmed's weird because he said we're all going to die from the curse of the mummy. Yeah, yeah. And the kids are like, that's silly. So, I'm sorry. I mean, it's just yeah. like this no, compounding true. shitting on Ahmed moment. Um, <laughs> right. And um, so the kids immediately wander off. They're like, Uncle Ben is working. We're bored. Let's go explore the, the tunnels. And, um, oh, God, if I... Uh, there better not be any tunnels in the next Goosebumps book because they so many times in this book are all time is like and the tunnel and then the other tunnel all the tunnels so many like, tunnels dude so they they wander off and uh, got this ongoing bit where Gabe's shoelace becomes untied so he 
constantly will like lean down and tie a shoelace and lose the person up ahead of him and that happens like three or four times and so it's a it's a guarantee that like when his shoe is untied you know someone's gonna go down and so this happens and he runs up ahead to try to catch sorry but sorry's gone there's a sarcophagus he like goes up to it and it starts to open and it's and he screams like, and screams and screams and screams he is so terrified I, you know, I, I gotta give uh, Arlstein a tiny bit of cred, though. Like, this, the first scare is clearly silly. This scare, like, he spends a lot of time looking for Sari. So there is, like, significant buildup. Like, yeah. as soon as you see the sarcophagus, you know what the fuck's going on. Especially once the rid- lid starts to raise. But, like, at this point, he spent, like, probably, I don't know, 2,000 words, like, maybe, like, of this kid just, like, wandering through, fair. like, hallways, like shouting for sorry worried that he's lost like worried that sorry's lost i actually again this is where it comes down to like sorry is shittier than gabe she pops out and screams and like he's been legitimately terrified that she's lost in this maze of caves and then like she's just like cackling at him for being a big baby and she's like haha you big baby like she's not even haha that was funny she's like i'm gonna go tell my dad about what a little bitch gabe is like like she is and then they actively malevolent yeah and then they do exactly that. She, they reunite with Uncle Ben, and she's like, "Hey, Uncle Ben, whisper, whisper, whisper." And then they go, <laughs> and they turn <laughs> and at look at Gabe. Gabe. They turn and look at Gabe and laugh at him. <laughs> well, like they're like, "We're gonna go back to Gabe's parents' hotel room now, but let's like have him Charlie Brown it behind us." Yeah, and then the next day, they um, Uncle Ben gets a phone call, and uh, two of the workers have fallen mysteriously ill, which is also like another mummy narrative bit where like mysterious things are happening in the world there's i feel like there's generally a sense that mummies it can exert some force on the world yeah like in the brendan fraser mummy movies that he causes the plagues in this one like there's mysterious illnesses and whatever yeah uh so uncle ben has to go check it out he's like don't leave the hotel room and the kid's like okay you want to go to the museum and so immediately <laughs> uh, immediately like, so also gabe like concludes his last little misadventure where sorry makes fun of him by saying there's no way i'm gonna let her make me uncle ben was also di- she's he's like upset uncle ben was disappointed in him because uncle ben comes in like gives them a quick talking to i told you not to leave me it's like oh, ah, yeah. i'm disappointed in my cool uncle ben i'm not gonna let sorry talk me into doing this again and all sorry has to do is say you're not chicken are you and then she, like, literally yeah. clucks her wings like a chicken and starts, like, you know, Arrested Development style making chicken noises at him. And he's like, yeah. I'm going to the museum. I'm disobeying Uncle Ben again. It's just going to happen. Is that still possible? I mean, it's okay to be, to have, let me back up. Is it possible to, in a kid's book or, like, as a kid now, still have that scene like the chicken scene because uh. I, it's becoming more and more okay for kids to have different countenances right like you've got a gluten allergy you've got um add you've got uh you're you're really scared of stuff you've got nerves um and that all of that stuff is okay which it wasn't necessarily at the time that this book was written huh. right? like if you were a chicken you were a fucking chicken if you were allergic <laughs> to gluten you were a fucking nerd we're going to throw peanuts at that peanut allergy kid. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, bullies and um, bullying is such a thing in 
these books, which I'm surprised about. And it also, like, makes me think about why the response to Melania's Trump, Melania's Trump, Melania <laughs> Trump's, like, uh, we have to stop bullying was sort of lukewarm because people were like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, sure, let's, let's stop bullying. Yeah. I mean, that felt like that was sort of the response. Yeah. It's really hard to say whether this scene would work in a book, but I mean, these kids are characterized, like, in a vacuum. That's true. You know, like, they're not, like, it's just them and, Uncle, like, Uncle Ben is, like, kind of caring. Well, let's put it this way. Uncle Ben is deeply caring by the end. Like, and we're going to get into that. But, like, Uncle Ben is the first adult protagonist in this thing that has been, like, in the kid's corner and present throughout the narrative, which is really interesting. Um, yeah, that's true. But, I mean, he's also, like, again, a little bit of a shit because he's, like, sitting there giggling with sorry. But outside of that, like, third social presence, it's really just sorry and this kid. And, like, Gabe is, like, a Woody Allen protagonist level of neurotic, right? <laughs> like, like yeah, he is so neurotic in terms of, like, being scared of being scared and, like, being scared of mummies and being scared of, like... I mean, he's just terrified of, of fear. And the, like, foil opposite here, this is a good example of foils, is, like, this little shitty sorry. And neither of them are positive, like, exhibiting their traits in positive ways, but sorry's, like you know, overconfident and also, like, constantly mocking Gabe. And so, like, I could see these two characters working. You buy that Gabe wants to, like, impress Sari and is also intimidated by her, and you buy that Sari understands that and, like, recognizes that she has that power and exercises it. Yeah. And I think that I would buy that in a book today, but it becomes more and more problematic the more characters you add because eventually somebody's going to be like, yo, sorry, how about you just chill out for two seconds? And there's no, like, hey, sorry, you need to chill out for two seconds presence in this. You know what I mean? I guess that's true. And, and kids will be kids, which means kids will be dicks yeah. no matter what the general <laughs> vibe is. I mean, no matter how the sort of, uh, I, I don't know, national vibe of, like, difference is okay. Yeah. Um, so last we left things, they were in the hotel room. Let's go really quickly through what happens next and then work our way back into the mummy's tomb. Okay, so... They're in the hotel room. They immediately are like, we're going to go to the museum and have a fun day. Even though Uncle Ben told us not to, we're going to leave him a note that says where we're going, right? So they go to the museum. Gabe starts telling Sari all the things that they do to make a mummy. Like they scramble your brain out of your nose and shit. Um, and uh, then all of a sudden they see Ahmed there. Um, and Ahmed starts running towards them. So they run away because he's scary he's a scary guy and he's running towards them they haven't spoken to this guy at all that's this true this is a complete stranger who like i saw these kids at the day <laughs> like, so the implication is definitely that he's ahmed and he's kind of creepy because he's like talked about mummy's curses yeah. yeah so he runs towards them they run away and he's like wait i just uh, your your uncle saw your note in the hotel room and wanted me to come get you. And they're like, oh, sounds legit. And so he puts them in a van. And they're like, why are we getting in the van? We're within walking distance of the hotel. And he spins some bullshit. Uh, you know, it's all about the optics. Um, and uh, he uh, starts driving them away from the hotel. And they're like, oh, shit, we got to get out of here. So they run away from the van. Uh, first opportunity that they get, like, at a stoplight or something. And they run, run, run. And they're like, oh shit, now we're lost. We gotta get back to the hotel. And they're like, let's just get in the cab. And there's a lot of discussion about like, 
nobody speaks English, uh, which is like, <laughs> you know, um, it doesn't have to be scary, kids. So they get into a cab and they're like, the hotel, they're, they're just, the hotel is just like the Cairo hotel. And um, the cab driver starts laughing and they're like, oh fuck, he was working for Ahmed. And he's like, it turns out he's laughing because the hotel is right in front of them. Which was such a sweet little... Actually, that was my favorite misdirect and false spook because... Yeah. So, as a subtext to all of this, um, I think it's worth saying that, like, Gabe is, like, a third-generation Egyptian immigrant. So, the idea is that, like, his whole family is, you know, Egyptian, brown people, but, like, you know, American in terms of culture coming into this other culture. It's interesting because there's a lot of western being afraid of the other that's present in this like with ahmed definitely but then there's moments like this where it's like they're assuming now because this guy's laughing that he's like in the employ of ahmed however unlikely and impossible that might seem but then it's like this dude's just guys the hotel's right there you don't need a taxi and he just thinks it's hilarious that these kids are like asking to take a ride in a taxi just a block away or half a block away maybe even so they get back to the hotel room uncle ben isn't even there and then he comes home and he's like, oh yeah, I was just visiting the two workers at the hospital who like were mysteriously ill. And it turns out that they are indeed yeah. mysteriously ill. They, he's like, I have to go to the pyramid right away. Like, well, we're coming with you because we were almost <laughs> kidnapped. Which, which is, I don't understand. Yeah. He <laughs> there's, there's a few leaps of logic here that are, are definitely... Arnold Stein writing himself out of corners. The fact that these guys are plagued by some sort of mysterious illness, which he describes as being so terrified they can't talk. Right. Like, that's how somehow the illness, like, they're so scared they can't speak. He's like, now I've got to go to the pyramid for reasons. Yeah. But that's also, like, it doesn't exactly matter because that's your sort of experience of being a kid. Like, a It's true. When I was... 10 my parents were like we have to go to home depot to get the blah 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 for the blah 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 i'm like i don't whoo over my head and in the uh, context of the narrative it does work like i did not catch the absurdity of that at the moment because it's just like now they're just going to the next place and i was mostly concerned because uncle ben's like and i'm just gonna leave you guys here and they're like no we just told you about this guy ahmed and this is where he starts to get sympathetic man uncle ben is worried about these kids gabe can see that he's like there's something in his eye. I forget what he says, but there's some phrase where he like mentions like something about Uncle Ben seeming worried for the first time, which is interesting. Oh yeah, he's like usually pretty goofy, but now he's serious. Yeah, so. and I mean, there's something about for kids. I think seeing fear in adults that yeah, forget it. Yeah, exactly. Forget it. Like that's the scariest <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah, if your guardian is like, well, well but. Yeah, so they go to the pyramid. It's pretty okay. They're going along, and then Gabe's fucking shoe becomes untied. So he has to stop. Somebody get this kid's Velcro sneakers. Yeah, for real. Those uh, Back to the Future shoes, just zoop. Um, so he he falls behind to, to tie his shoe. Of course, everybody's gone, and then he is like wandering around, and he hears this cracking sound, and he's like, what is that? it turns out that the floor is breaking underneath him. And so he falls straight through the floor into a, a chamber that is literally filled with mummies <laughs> in all types of positions. Um, 
And that's when I sort of was like, oh, geez, like now we're going to start getting into some mummy shenanigans. Uh, there's also a tar pit and scorpions. So he is like in this nest of scorpions, survives, is not stunned at all um, somehow. They're just skittering. Yeah, just skittering around. They're just skittering and scattering. Uh, which yeah. I thought was effectively ooky. I mean, nobody likes a nest of scorpions. And I mean, he drops into the dark and he drops his little flashlight after seeing a bunch of dead bodies and everything. Like, there's a lot of emphasis in this book on smell, air smelling dead. And like, you know, he talks a lot yeah. about like the smell of the tar and the smell of like old air and dead bodies and 4,000 year old air, whatever that means. Like as if air has like a, an expiry date, <laughs> there's like a lot of emphasis on that. And then he's in the dark and there's like, you know, there's like something skittering against his leg and he reaches down to grab the flashlight and something skitters on his hand. And you're like, all right, this is legitimately ooky spooky. You know, yeah. it's like, it's got a little bit of the spooks and a little bit of the ooks. <laughs> the spooks and the ooks. But then, Sorry. So Sari shows up, and uh, she's like, don't worry, little buddy, we're going to get out of here. And they're about to get out when Ahmed shows up, and he's like, you have disturbed Princess Kala's resting place. This is her sacred burial chamber, and you've desecrated it, so now the curse must be filled out, and I have to kill you. Which doesn't make sense, because either the curse has to be carried out, or Ahmed is going to kill you to protect the tomb. You can't have both simultaneously, right? Like, is Ahmed the curse? I think Ahmed is the curse. I buy this. I mean, as, as like, xenophobic and, like, other religions are scary, all of this is. I bought that there is a secret cabal, because Ahmed talks about how, like, all of the mummies are people who have disturbed the burial chamber. Some of them are people his ancestors have made. He's only had to do it once, but, like, Ahmed's legit. He's, like, member of a secret society protecting the pyramid yeah. who's, like... Yeah. Who's, like... Like, this guy is, is like... He's blooded. He's, he's like... Blooded. He's got his He's got his tear tattoo. He's I was gonna say, he's, like, before. the Medjai in um, the, uh, the Mummy movies, the Brendan Fraser Mummy movies with the dude. Oh, yeah. With the hair. <laughs> yes. He's, like, we have been protecting the tomb for thousands of years, our order. Yeah, um, which... I mean, I know it's tropey, but, like, it doesn't come out of nowhere, but, like, it is the more effective version of what we were talking about last time, where Spidey explains oh, his entire plan. Yeah, I was thinking that. Ahmed comes out, and he explains why he's the threat. But by doing that, you're like, oh, so there's no mummy. This whole thing is going to be that Ahmed's the threat the whole time, which was a nice little twist for me. Yeah, um, okay, great. Um, that. But for you, not so much, it sounds like. Well, I, I knew that there had to be some mummy. I mean, that feels like such a Chekhov's gun to have a mummy book without any actual mummy stuff. Uh, so I, I, I thought some stuff was coming. Well, you still have... Okay, so we haven't even talked about the summoner, which... Oh, God. Gabe has this thing in his... It's like a mummy's hand that he bought in, like, Hyde Park, Illinois, or wherever <laughs> yeah, he's some from. Some fucking like, garage sale... It was at a garage sale. Some other dunce kid who was like, yeah, I don't know. I found it. It's, um, it's the summoner. Uh, I mean, he doesn't even know what it is. It's just like a mummified yeah. hand. Yeah. But he got a garage sale back in the U.S. And you know that somehow this is going to be related to money, mummy shenanigans. But I will say that, like, Ahmed being revealed as the threat was nice for me. Because I'm like, all right, I don't get any dumb mummies. This is going to be oh, like... Because you were not about the mummy start here's a scary kidnapper dude who actually kidnapped them and now he has them trapped in this 
tomb and he's got a knife and that's that's like ooky spooky for me yeah and he's like so i've i've mummified everybody who's tried to enter the tomb i'm about to mummify you guys chamber yeah uh for princess kala protecting her and so he takes his torch and lights up the whole tar pit and he's like, I'm gonna I'm a, throw you. I'm gonna boil pit. you guys alive. He's like, I'm gonna. I'm gonna I'm boil gonna, you alive. Yeah. I'm gonna do this. I just need it to get nice and hot first. So we're gonna wait <laughs> yeah. a few minutes. So in Stay Out of the Basement, there's a part where she goes into Dad's room and she pulls back Dad's sheets and she sees that oh, the bed is yeah. full of dirt and worms. That was a very effective what the fuck moment for yeah. me. And the realization that the entire room of mummies were people who had been mummified alive at Ahmed's hands, or like at the hands of like his um, yeah. protective order of Kala, was probably the most effective ooky spooky moment so far. I, I would say for me um, in these books. Yeah, because there's a moment too where it's like he sees one mummy when Gabe falls down. He's like, "Man, that mummy seems awfully." I mean straight and erect and standing against the wall and really fresh. Yeah, fresh. There's something really fresh about yeah. that mummy. And when Ahmed reveals this, he's like, oh, that mummy was a human that was like killed in like the last 10 to 15 years, depending on Ahmed's age. And there it is. And that's what yeah. is going to be me in a few minutes. And it is. It's super ooky spooky. And it's actually like the most grounded threat we've had so far because you have like these other threats in these Goosebump books he tries to get into it with the bully stuff and some of these other ones this is a threat that kids in this era at least i know i would have been told about like don't get into the car with strangers don't get into the creepy van with somebody you don't know especially yeah and like we've done that and like he was driving away and we hopped out and we escaped and now here he is and he's got a knife and not only does he have a knife he's like i killed that guy now i'm gonna kill you this is like classic goosebumps to me so gabe has this moment where he's like i was a mummy for halloween a few years ago and now i was about to be a mummy forever (laughs) and that feels like definitive when i think of goosebumps that is like uh 101 you know that is textbook yeah there are Um, some really good lines i love it (laughs) so then uncle ben throws down a rope ladder and uh he starts coming down like uncle ben look out and he's like ahmed you're a scientist. I'm a scientist. This man believes in science. Hardcore. He's like, let's talk about this science, scientist, scientist, and uh, he says it like eight times. Yeah. And Ackman's like, oh, sounds good. Walk and just <laughs> pops him over the head with the torch. Ackman has superhuman strength now because he just chucks Uncle Ben into a, a coffin. Right. He closes the lid. And he commands the other two kids to get into a coffin, which is also superhumanly large. Like, they are in this uh, sarcophagus, and they're like, oh, sorry, are you over there? What? Aren't you on top of each other? Like, it's just a sarcophagus. Especially because, like, they've made several points throughout this book, and I don't know what... I think Arl Stein read a book of mummy facts. (laughs) He did! And he was like, I'm gonna find a way to use this, because... They mention so many times in this, like, people used to be smaller back then. Oh, look at that. That's a very small person. That's a small sarcophagus. It should fit a, you know, small human. And they put these people in a sarcophagus, and yeah, they're, like, shouting at each other across, like, a a room, and they're talking. Yeah, they're like, are you over there? So, So the kids are about to get boiled alive. 
and they're in this room-sized sarcophagus. And then... Yeah, something starts coming at them in the sarcophagus, and they have time. Something starts coming at them in the sarcophagus. In the sarcophagus! And they have so much time and so much space to react that they're like, what could it be? Could it be the third time in the book that we've thought a mummy is coming for us, that it's not a mummy? And it turns out... Yes. It's Uncle Ben. (laughs) Yes, that is correct. that there's a secret door. And I think that this is like... So he says that um, there's a secret door... In all of the sarcophagi, so he says there's a trapdoor so that the soul of the person who has been mummified can escape and, and get out into the spirit realm. Which was a nice moment of, like, science defeating brute force. Like, you know, uh, I mean, you've got, like, Ahmed's yeah. brute force, his, like, knock you over the head with a torch, put you in a casket, boil you alive kind of force, and, like, Uncle Ben you know, uses... Typical. Yeah, and Uncle Ben uses his wily wits... To, and his science and his archaeology to like get his way out of this um yeah roguishly it, which was nice and then he says like uh, oh Ahmed must have forgotten about the trapdoor which to me sounds akin to like in um the, so the last season of game of thrones you see some of the like making of bits where they're like oh danny must have forgotten about the iron fleet and everyone you can just feel everyone watching it being like what <laughs> Like, <laughs> excuse me? But, you know, that also must be, like... And, and so I was reading some of the, like, back matter. Um, my version of the book had, like, fun facts and, and shit. And so they were sort of like, what are some of your favorite mummy facts? And, like, tell us some stuff about mummies or Alstein. And he says... Or, like, what is the attraction to mummies? And he says something like, well, they were real. And, um, I mean, it's got to be true. Like, these are a weird ooky thing to us that is yeah. 100% real. Uh, and in the same way that like dinosaurs are attractive because it proves that monsters are real. Like you could never say mummies aren't real in the same way that you could say the creature from the Black Lagoon isn't real. Yeah, uh, and and I mean you can so. kind of see uh, the things that he associates with mummies is, uh, I mean it makes sense, like even from a non-Western perspective, right? Like here is a literal dead body and, like, you know, uh, all of human culture, when it comes to death, seems to be around separating it from life and separating the essence of the individual, you know, um, from the death yes. of the body. And, you know, here is the actual dead body that is chilling out with its treasures. And, you know, there's, like, uh, something about that that I think is fundamentally, you know, anti the way that, like, most of the West thinks of, like, how we should approach death. And so, um, at the very least... You know, you have the way that he uses the language is, like, centered around, like, decay in the room, death in the room. Like, there's the smell of death everywhere. There's the, you know, it's it's like when you think about the presence of just being in dead bodies, that's already, like, instantly horrific. And, you know, it's like in a non-pristine, yeah. non-sterile environment. They're not in a museum. They're not, like, like, they're just propped up against the wall. Like, here's a dead body. So it's that kind of ookiness. Yeah, that's totally right i mean there's such a separation between us and death and the spirit realm whatever that looks like to you in so many western cultures and then to have that completely broken down that separation completely almost eradicated and so that's when we think of it is also like in these fun facts they're saying things like well they would supply you know board games in the burial chamber so that the dead could be entertained or they would you know 
have these escape hatches or they would have gold so you could you know pay the ferryman i guess that's not egyptian um but like no there's a there's a ferryman i think in, in is there is um yeah i think okay. so so you, there's like physicality to the spirit realm that exists there oh like, you know no there was a there was a person that you would be weighed against i forget there's there is like a whole gosh, thing that you'd have to do like so the physical objects would also like be related to the thing i don't think it was a ferryman but there were a whole physical set of trials you'd have to do in the book of the dead not the tibetan book of the dead there's a there's an egyptian something oh man well, there's, there's some kind of journey we're right? really so screwing this like, one up I, I mean i know that like you know um charon and the river sticks you gotta put coins in the eyes to pay him whatever and, yeah in this one, it's like you have to have objects and, like, your heart is taken out and weighed against your deeds uh, oh, by, like, one of the gods. But it's, like, there's also, like, gold that you can supply. I don't know. There's something there. I forget. There's something about objects and, like, the actual weighing because it's, like, an actual balance. And so there's something there that happens as part of the death ritual or the death mythology. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. And so they also, like, they give you food and drink so that you can have something to eat on your journey toward the afterlife. And so there is a, a physical presence of spirits and the dead in the room and to people who maybe grew up in, like, a Christian household. I mean, like, you and I both grew up in Christian households, so, like, that's completely separate. I mean, you're yeah. in a box... Maybe put a nice suit on you. In the ground you go. Like, good luck Yeah, down here's there. a pretty stone, and that's what we see. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. We, we don't get to see you. We don't get to see um, your riches or your giant pyramid or anything. But we get to maybe see, like, a bit of marble yeah. that commemorates you. Uh, so anyway, I just thought that, that uh, breakdown of uh, those barriers is something that is just inherently ooky to someone who is not in that culture yeah i mean certainly it's inherently ooky to me and i'm not in that culture i mean like the idea of like falling into a room and being surrounded by dead bodies regardless of like how they've been preserved or if they're a part of some sort of you know sacred space the ookiness doesn't come from traversing the sacred space it comes from um just the death being around us which is i think again an interesting contrast in terms of how it affects me as a reader versus like i don't know it would be interesting to try to see i kept thinking this as we were reading this book to see like what a mummy tale written by someone who has like real roots in egyptian culture might look like you know just in terms of like i mean regardless of the most of that area is um you know very muslim obviously uh but you know it's muslim christian mixed but regardless of that somebody who's like you know a part of that culture it'd be interesting just to get the perspective because like so much of this is like just again couched in this like adventure language about like some westerner coming into a unexplored space and being surprised by what is the common there you know like you start off by being astounded by the pyramids and then like being astounded by the people who are wearing hijabs in the street and then like being astounded by ahmed who's chasing you because he's scary because he's the other and then like now it's like you know, we've transformed into, like, the pure metaphorical where we're being astounded by, like, this burial practice. So we've been talking about, like, all of this, like, Western <laughs> mythology stuff. And, like, we've had a very atheistic, yeah. you know, sort of experience up to this point. But we've gotten to the point where our main villain is some sort of, you know, creepy serial killer cult member who's, like, protecting a tomb, and that's it. 
then they crawl out they escape being boiled alive like they're in the tunnels they're walking through them and they run into ahmed again and he's got his knife again yeah and they have this moment where like they're they're about to go up the ladder that ben threw down earlier to go up through the hole but ben's like that's gonna take too much time let's go down the tunnel that ahmed just went down so they go down the tunnel ahmed's there um he pushes them back towards the tar pit and then the Gabe, I was going to say the kid. The Gabe. Uh, Gabe, the Gabe, uh, remembers that he has the summoner, the mummy's hand, in his pocket. And he ha- spends like an entire page saying like, I don't know what I was thinking. It was pretty dumb. I'm pretty dumb. I'm, I'm, I'm dumb. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> this Woody and Allen then, protagonist. <laughs> yeah. And then he holds up the mummy's hand and he's like, I don't know what it would, it probably wouldn't do anything. You know, I'm just holding it up. I, I don't know what I'm thinking. And then of course it's the MacGuffin that, so... Ahmed sees it, he freaks out, and all the mummies wake up, and they're about to throw Ahmed into the tar pit to boil him alive, and so Gabe doesn't look, because he doesn't want to see a human being boiled alive, which is fair, Yeah. and then Ahmed runs away, uh, and they're like, oh, there goes the sequel, and um, <laughs> then all the, mummies, all the mummies are fine, they're, they're back to their normal mummy state. Yeah, there's something interesting about a few. So I want to say one of the things I think Arl Stein does effectively in this is he does a good job of seeding uncertainty. And part of this is like the joke, the running gag about get this kid some Velcro sneakers, where like it's so clearly apparent that people should be hearing him that like it feels like it must be either intentional or magic that people aren't. And there's something about the, like the the pyramid and the mummy maze that like feels inherently magic. So he's like wandering through this magic space, and like suddenly people are gone, and he's like shouting after them, and they can't hear him somehow, even though there's just like one direction to go. Yeah. There's a lot of that, and then there's this where it's like the mummies very clearly like pick this guy up, and they're about to kill him, and then like Gabe closes his eyes, and he looks back, and all the mummies are just back where they were supposed to be, and they leave. And they're like, sweet, we're safe. That was cool. Did it even happen? Like, there's a moment where it's like, did yeah. it even happen? And, like, Uncle Ben's like, maybe. It must have. That's cool. And they're like, out of there. Which I actually, again, really <laughs> yeah. liked as a reader because it's the first time where it's not like, and then Sarah Beth, who, you know, is my cat, came from the nether realm and, like, you know, bound my lips so that I couldn't speak. It's like this, you know, very subtle recognition oh, gosh, of the yeah. other and, like, the magical undercurrent of what's going on. You know, it asserts itself, it's there present for a moment, but then it vanishes. And, like, it's very possible that it's a hallucination. It's not, because we're readers yeah. and we know that it's not, but it, like, the possibility of it creates, like, adds the layers of mystery instead of over explaining it. It's true. Um, and I was thinking, too, it, it, like, you go to a place and it's different and it sucks and it's creepy and the TV sucks. Um, and there's nothing to do, and, like, the people there are creepy. I mean, that's Welcome to Dead House, but we don't have the same kind of conversation because it's still uh, American. Yeah. It's still very much within a culture, but then you go to, like, Curse of the Mummy. What is it? Curse Curse of of the Mummy's Mummy's Tomb. Tomb? All right. (laughs) And then, uh, (laughs) so you go to Curse of the Mummy's Tomb, and you're like, oh, Cairo sucks. There's nothing to do here. The TV sucks because everything's in Arabic. Yeah. The people are weird because they only speak Arabic. Uh, and this place is weirdly magical because it's it's different, you know. 
that's a it, it's the same kind of stuff but it's a totally different conversation yeah and um, it feels weird it definitely like reading it like i kept thinking i know you wanted to do a mummy thing because it's a mummy thing and again you read a book about mummies but like you know <laughs> what makes a lot of the horror of rl stein work so far is less like this like sort of subtle undercurrent of like americana you know it's not it's not like stephen king suburbs but it's still like a sense of a lot of his you know work seems to like have this you know subtle undercurrent that there's like something about the mundane americana that's still got the ooky spooky in it and so when we start like when we start transplanting that to other spaces i'm not sure that it works but i felt at least like this was nice in terms of being a surprising tale um because i was expecting that we'd have a mummy that was just going to be walking around doing mummy stuff like I, I kind of pictured like Tom Cruise is the mummy where it's like somehow the mummy. <laughs> Did you see that one? Um, yeah. I mean, it's like, I, I just kind of kept thinking like somehow it's going to be like the mummy is, I don't know, I guess doing big stuff because again, mummies aren't scary. So you have to make them adventurous. And so it's like, what's an adventure like? Well, I mean, he's probably like mummy's causing shenanigans and like the kid has to stop it. But at the end, it's like this dude is like the major threat and the mummy's actually like, stop that threat from happening which is you know again an interesting subversion that is really yeah that is very true um i didn't think about that that the mummies are actually the things that stop the intrusion they save the protagonist you know they they, they save the protagonist yeah um yeah and that's very true about like stephen king's like stephen king suburbs are completely imbued with evil of all kinds i mean there might be vampires, but then also that guy over there is a rapist. That guy um, hits his kid. You know, hmm. there's alcoholics everywhere. But then, then in the R.L. Stein suburb, there's a sense that the suburb itself is normal. But then there's one house that has, like, ooky spookiness going on. So, like, you could, like, down the whole neighborhood. Um, but then one thing might be like, you can't come here. But in a, <laughs> in a Stephen King universe, you, you don't want to walk through the neighborhood at all yeah like anything you walk by at any time could be like i work for the crimson king or whatever (laughs) Um, so um it's true that like it really works in a specific environment where there's a sheen of normalcy underneath which there's maybe a few pockets of evil yeah Uh, yeah i mean and i think at the end of the day i think what this this continues to confirm for me is just like mummy stories are outdated like they're a bad way to do horror (laughs) they're like like i think there's something interesting about the idea of the like we're talking about the idea of the eldritch and the idea that like there's something that's fundamentally other and larger that's terrifying right is that what we're defining the eldritch as yeah yeah so there eldritch as like there's something just just sort of different or off and that was a very lovecraftian thing too to say like this building is at an angle that isn't recognizable or like it's a color that i don't know the name of there's just something that like yes yeah. is, is different and otherworldly and is therefore frightening yeah like you can explore that in like ambiguous and non-specific terms and still get it the the sense of like being transported into unrecognized territory because that is scary like you know there's something there's something comforting about being surrounded by things that you recognize and there's something displacing about being surrounded by things that you don't and so i i get the like ability and interest in exploring that but like 
mummies are so specific <laughs> that it's like, how on earth do you not, how, how do you talk about mummies and not just like get into a fit of like white guilt um, is kind of the, the thing I kept thinking when I was reading this. Yeah. Well, anyway, so they escape the pyramid and they go back to their hotel. Oh yeah, there's the coda. Like, yeah, so they're all like happy to be alive and then Gabe picks up the summoner and he's like, I summon evil spirits here. And they're like, don't do that game. <laughs> and knock at the door. And um, that's a mummy that I just summoned. Uh, and then two shadowy figures walk in. And he's like, mom, dad. And also that's like, that happens maybe six times in the book where they're like, a shadowy figure walked in. Yeah. Sorry, it's you. Like, um, like, so... like, can we get better lighting in front of these doorways? <laughs> Why is Cairo so dim? So... Yeah, that was the book. Um, so, I mean, I have to ask you, Sam. I, I, I mean, we've yeah. been super distracted. I don't feel like we did Curse of the Mummy's Tomb justice when it came to, like, the actual content and, like, our interest in it. <laughs> At least I don't feel like yeah. I did because I was interested in this. But I'm curious because you seem a little bit less hot for this book. Like, what's your what's your spook, oh, no. your spookometer I, on this one? I really enjoyed it. I just felt... Um, see i don't know i was kind of saying this last time like when i think of goosebumps i think of alternate worlds i think of like you go to a summer camp that has a bad thing happening at it uh or you go to um uncle larry's house but uncle larry has a monster in the basement or you go to an entirely alternate dimension or you go back in time yeah or you go to horror land or some damn thing so when I think of this, this felt very goosebumps to me and that we're going to a place, but then I also had a disconnect where I was like, oh, but this place actually exists. Like, if you go to Horrorland and um, there's the place is run by ghouls and it's very ghoulish, then that's, that's to me, ghoul stuff. And that there's something okay in saying, like, yeah, I would not want to be stuck in a ghoul place. Um <laughs> But you can't say the same thing about Cairo. Uh, like, Cairo's is real. In the same way that, like, Arl Stein, like I said, at the end of the book, is like, you know, mummies are real. And that's maybe why we feel drawn to some of those narratives. But there must also be something that, like, mummy narratives have never really taken off. That's it. Like, there are Frankenstein narratives, and there are Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde narratives, and, like, uh, Wolfman narratives. Or their adventure tales. Like, yeah. did you see the adaptation of this? No. Did you? I wanted to be a purist. Did you yeah, watch it? Yeah, so it's, it's, they've changed it so much that they changed the title even. It's called Return of the Mummy instead of Curse. It's based on the second one. But it's not at the same time. I mean, okay. I don't know. Okay. We haven't read the second one yet. But, like, it has all of the introductions. It has all the same characters. I mean, maybe that's, we haven't gotten into actually a Goosebumps sequel yet. So I don't know if as sequels go they tend to use the same characters or if they just recycle the same evil right in a different way but i I mean this one has the same thing where it's got like gabe discovering the secret space the major difference in this one is like you've got sorry she's chilling in the background she's being like an insufferable bitch and she's also (laughs) apparently she's the voice of slappy like let me tell you no way yeah, let me tell you how annoying this wow. this kid is like she's exercising pure annoyance and like i don't know anything about slappy outside of the fact that it's the dummy that's the scary dummy total fucker and so she's the voice of slappy in the other goosebumps thing so they found their slappy when they started using this character 
And she she kills it. The kid kills it as being like a scared little bitch. Uh, Gabe is like so scared. He screams. He's super annoying the whole time. He's like screaming at everything. But the major difference in this one is like, and maybe this is what gets built in the sequel. If there's a sequel, I don't I don't know. You're saying there is. Do you know what book it is? There, yeah. There, it's, it's, it's like number 23. It's called Return of the... It is called Return of the Mummy. Do you know if it has yeah. Gabe in it and Uncle Ben? I don't remember. Oh my God. It's like so deep cut in terms of the mythology so really? yeah so uncle ben has this reporter who shows up who's like oh i want to document you guys opening up this tomb it's going to be great because this you know this is going to be super cool it's a tomb and like you know this is important it's khufu or whatever so like let's, let's oh yeah they changed the name well it's it's like you know the the prince instead of the princess so there's princess kala but there's khufu and so she shows up and she's like ready to do all this stuff She's Kala. She's like the princess, and she has this like amber thing around her neck, and she turns into a beetle every night and like goes into the amber. What? And that's how she survived for four thousand years. But she like wants to resurrect her brother, who is the mummy. Oh, also, uh, Gabe's summoner is something he bought at the Cairo airport. Now, that's why she's there is because he's got the summoner. And the whole time they're like playing with these magic words that you're not supposed to say that resurrect mummies and like that's one of like <laughs> the big that's one of the big sorry <laughs> moments is she's like are you too chicken to say the magic words while you hold the summoner and he's like no i'm not too chicken and she like and yeah. so he uh, says beetlejuice, it. Beetlejuice, beetlejuice. <laughs> and so he says it and then instantly everything goes dark and the wind blows through and they're like oh well that's weird oh, no. and then yeah so the reporter turns out to have been princess kala and she's ready to do her her due diligence in like resurrecting her brother so they can rule the world together but her brother's like just let me rest and is like really upset at her and she's like no you got to kill these kids and he's like no just let me rest and she's like no just go kill them and we'll go rule the world she's like you know you were always the little bitch and i was like the you know the queen bee and like that's what we'll do it'll be great uh, and same then, dynamic as the kids same huh? dynamic and then he wow. takes and smashes her like little amber thing that she crawls oh, into as to a beetle as every night and so then she disappears like the rapture happened her clothes fall on the ground then he goes back to his position as a dead mummy and then the kids talk to uncle ben and they're like well, what are we going to tell the reporters that want to know everything? And he's like, not the truth. And that's the way that it is. Except the mummy hand, then the mummy hand crawls through the tent into Gabe's luggage, and then he throws some clothes on it and packs his bag, and he's going to take it home with him. So, well, whose hand was it? it? I don't know. I mean, I guess it was the summoner, oh. whatever that is. It's not Kala's hand in this one, because she's got both her hands. Mummy's got both his hands. <laughs> So, but it was good. Questions. Yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, <laughs> so you liked it. I did. First of all, I was super okay. bored for the first like fifteen <laughs> minutes, but then as soon as yeah. like the reporter was revealed to be this like, because the reporter is like dressed as a dowdy Lois Lane sort of reporter, like she's very unimpressive. She's there, and she like shows up. There's no Ahmed to be found, but she shows up and she's just like suddenly there, and then she's suddenly when she comes into the room after the mummy's been awakened she's like full egyptian regalia she's got like the hat that looks like a pope's hat except it's like kind of flat at the top she's got like this like long dress she's got like gold chains she's like 
when Jeez. you when you look up like Egyptian princess at like a costume store at like Halloween time, oh, she is. She's that. wearing which that is thing. exactly what the costume designer did, probably. It's like, <laughs> yeah, here we go. So like, as soon as that happened, I was into it. I was like, great, give me this. This is what I'm. This is what I'm here for. <laughs> Well, and so why wait 4,000 years, right? That's my question with anything like this where they're like, <laughs> I've been watching or protecting or waiting for thousands of years for this thing to happen. And I just, I have such a hard time buying that. Dude, they needed Gabe to uh, buy the summoner from the dude at the Cairo airport. That's why. <laughs> is that how he gets it I, I, yeah he buys <laughs> it from some guy and uncle ben's like oh, 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 that's not a real mummy's hand they got you they got you there jeez oh, it's like going to florida and getting an alligator <laughs> paw i like... guess i mean yeah it's a it's a good question why she hasn't been spending her four thousand years better like she's like apparently gotten a journalism degree and is working as a reporter at the la cairo newspaper instead of finding this hand that's just you can just buy at the airport but. So she has to wait thousands of years for them to form <laughs> journalism schools and then also to admit women and then to get a degree and then, like, go in. Oh, Jesus. And God, so, like, this is... <laughs> this is an absurdist play, like, Waiting for Godot style, where it's, like, Princess Kala from the year 2000 BC until the year, like, 1965, just what she's been doing with her time. In the desert yeah. in Egypt. Or she's tried this multiple times, and every time he's like, please let me rest, I'm going back to sleep. And so this time he's like, just let me sleep. <laughs> God damn it, it smashes the thing. But also, like, this is what I think of when I think of the, like, Universal Mummy movies of the 30s and 40s, and then also the Brendan Fraser Mummy movies, is that it wasn't so much the mummy himself, or herself who was frightening, but the coterie of people who still walk among us who are trying to get the mummy back. that That's who's with us now. And they could be anybody. Uh, yeah, you know, I guess why why my brain, when you started talking about the Brendan Fraser thing, went to this TV show is because this one felt much more adventurous in the sense of, like, you know, they're faced with this sudden global threat that they have to disarm. And the kids don't actually end up doing anything. They're just kind of witnesses to it. But still, like, they just watch this mummy throw this thing to the ground. And they're like, oh, good. I'm glad that happened. But... Yeah, that really worked out. <laughs> but uh, it's still the same sort of narrative where it's like, it's not scary. It's not, like, creepy. And it's not spooky so much as it's like, just here's these godlike characters and we're watching how they interact with each other. I mean, it's like a superhero thing, right? Like, And that's the way that Tom Cruise mummy was. That's even the way the Brendan Fraser movie was. You have basically Indiana Jones versus the bug man, you know, who can like turn into a dust cloud and can use his magic powers to, you know, summon scarabs and stuff. Like that's kind of the yeah. way that the Brendan Fraser mummy works. That's true. And that's very like Indiana Jones too. There's something passive about like uh oh all you have to do is wait for the nazi to choose the wrong cup and then he's gonna uh, die or like the evil will check itself yeah. out like you can say hey don't open that and the evil guy would be like what do you know i'm evil <laughs> clank and then opens the thing and he's like oh fuck my face and yeah like, um uh i kind of forget how the bad guy in the second one dies he he 
gets eaten by alligators. Um, did you have any other thoughts about uh, the book? So story structure-wise, I think that this is actually one of the strongest um, that we've read so far. We've talked a lot about other things in this podcast, and I think that that's because like it's a very slow build. It's a slow build with a surprising twist. All of the tropes are there to set up that this should be a mummy story. And so when it's not a mummy story at the end, that's, at least for me, really satisfying. So if I'm learning something from this, I'm learning really like trust your gut instincts to like follow through with uh, what's going to end up being a sort of surprising take on tropes. And I mean, I kind of felt like it worked really, really well in this one. Again, aside from all the problematic pieces of it, like if we're just looking at this in isolation, it's really, really interesting that Ahmed was the bad guy and was the sole malevolent force. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, I, I think I have one last thing about Mummy that I want to share. Um, near the beginning, uh, Gabe has this joke where he says, do you know how to get down from a cave hole? Gabe's like... What's, what's the punchline? Gabe's like such a dad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what's the punchline? Uh, no, but I know how to get down from a duck. Or yeah, something. no, you don't get down from a camel. Yeah. You get down, down from, from a, a duck. duck. Yeah. I had to think about it for minutes. Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay, good. I, I, I read that like three or four times and I was like, wait, you don't get down from a duck. I, I kept thinking about like, so is the joke about like the word duck is the joke about like the action of getting off of an object. And then finally yeah. I realized it was about the word down. Down is a kind of feather. And so, yeah, and then the next line, he goes, I know, I know, it's a very old joke, but my dad and I never get tired of it, which felt like I had the visceral feeling of, like, being at a party, and someone's like, <laughs> I know, it's an old joke, and you're like, yeah, good good joke. Um, so that, that really stood out to me, and then also, like, there's this whole bit where he's nervous about being alone in the hotel room, and then he's like, well, I've got my mummy hand, maybe it's even a real hand, and I was like, what? You're nervous about getting to hang out in a hotel room by yourself uh but you're glad that you're there with a severed in your pocket like what um and uh i guess my last thing i'll say they go to the pyramid and he's like this pyramid is four thousand years old like it's huge it's ancient um we're about to go inside that's awesome and the next line is your sneakers untied sorry said (laughs) She sure knew how to bring a guy back down to earth. I was like, ha <laughs> Yeah, some solid seeding as well of like, I, I don't want to be scared anymore. I want to be the hero. You know, that was all pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a very solid story. It was structured well. It had some nice surprises. It was not too over the top. It might be one of those that like falls in that uncomfortable middle of being either outstanding nor terrible you know like in the way that monster blood was like i have a feeling i'm going to remember monster blood for years and i i really (laughs) like i worry i worry that like years from now when we sit back and you and i have a conversation about the time we had that podcast i'm going to be like what were those books that we read and you're going to be like i don't know like we read something about a dead house i'm like i don't remember that but i you know what i remember i remember monster blood (laughs) and uh, uh, and this one kind of fits in that sort of weird uncomfortable middle of like something that is sure to be forgotten, but it's very solid. Yeah. It's very solid. It's got a nice twist. And I'm hoping that 
that's enough to stick in my brain space, but we'll see. No, it's it's uh, very fair. Um, I mean, there's an inherent body horror to mummies as well, just like the process of mummification that they talk about too. Yeah, way. it's it's interesting that like the one specific thing you pulled out was like the thing with the brains because that also stood out to me. Well, describe to, it, Sam. What I mean, happens? so to me, this is something that I've like known for a while. Like, did you know this bit, Ben, about the? No. Okay. I see how my interests are weirder than yours. Then. I mean, <laughs> sure, yeah, but also like I was, I was like, this is what R.L. Stein read that made him decide he wanted to write a mummy book because yeah. he wanted to write about this. And I think that's that. So I'm saying like that's what makes it sort of forgettable because it like there's one bit, and as soon as he says that bit, the rest of the book you're like, okay, yeah. Uh, What's the bit? Well, they they get a hot poker and they stick it up your nose and they scramble your brain and they scoop it out, but sometimes it doesn't work if they take it out your nose. They have to pop out your eye and scoop out your brain through your eye socket. It's like... Yeah, they, like, liquefy your fucking brain, but they also don't want to cook it, so they have to, like... It's hot, but it's not too hot. Yeah, they just scramble it. So, like, that... If you're being mummified alive, I mean, you don't last very long, right? Someone sticks some shit up in your brain. I mean... it's funny because the first step in the process for uh, Ahmed was like throw them in the tar, and I was like, "Oh, what are you, what are you gonna do about these organs, man?" Throw them you in the tar. Still... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Well, and that like you know you can be mummified in tar, like those La Brea tar pits. They've got tons of mummified shit in them. Yeah, right. I mean, so totally. Um, ben, what do you expect from your hero? Um, Slappy. Slappy, <laughs> yeah. I, I've got I've got nothing, man. I, I like usually yeah. creepy doll narratives don't get me, you know. I've I think turned off Annabelle twice. Wow. I've never seen Chucky. You've um, never seen I like Wow. I've seen clip I've clip seen clips of him cursing and I think that's hilarious. <laughs> so Yeah, Chucky's a hoot. Uh, so I'm like, I know that this dummy's not gonna curse. I don't know what to expect. I'm interested, though, you've read the second ones, so what are you expecting from this first one? I mean, Slappy was the main antagonist in the Goosebumps movie that came out a few years ago, so most of my memories are from that, and he just, like... Like the one with Jack Black? Yeah, and... Uh, oh my god. He is just uh, kooky chaos. And when I think of uh, haunted doll narratives, I think of just kooky chaos. Kooky like, chaos. Like, yeah. you know, give Annabelle another shot. Uh, especially okay. the second two movies, Annabelle Creation and Annabelle Comes Home. We are in such a paranormal horror zeitgeist now. I mean, it is very interesting to me that, like, in a, in a time when more than any other time you can never be alone, and a lot of people find comfort in that, like, you can constantly Snapchat or TikTok or whatever, you know, Facebook <laughs> your way out of loneliness. <laughs> you are also assaulted by another presence constantly in your home. And so it's yeah. interesting to me that, like, that is the narrative that keeps getting spun around the, like, Blumhouse wheel. Well, um, Ben, what do you expect? Oh, I already asked you. Um, Guys, that's it. That's it for us. Um, that's, at the, that's it. <laughs> at the end of our first episode, Ben, you told everyone to stay tubular. Oh, yeah, stay tubular. My new my new thing is that's it, but do you want to say stay tubular? Oh, no, we can just say that's it. Okay, stay tubular, guys. That's it. <laughs> <laughs>